Recorded live at Toxin Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. From the Talks and Tasting Studio, this is the Clerical Errors Podcast, the show that shows you what's behind the collar. All right, just Vicar and I today. Our timing has not been working very well with everybody, so uh, we're hoping to get Berg back, but uh, he's just been really busy, and everybody else must be busy with Lent or something like that. And we've got a, a new hard drive, a new program that Peter wants us to use, and he's not here, so... And then you and I have to be quick because we have funeral planning to do yep. today. So uh, it's fun. We get to take this new hardware for a test drive. That's right. It looks pretty fancy, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, we have some funeral planning today. I guess I want to mention something uh, uh, to the listener. Okay. Okay. And that is, uh, I was thinking about this um, as we will be going here in about a little over an hour to, uh, to meet with a family. And that is kind of behind the collar point. And that is, as a pastor, um, I can't stress how much we do appreciate our faithful members Mm -hmm. and their examples and their lives of faith. It is super encouraging to your pastor. And uh, this past year, you've noticed, Vicar, we've gone through, we've lost a lot of those faithful members uh, to God's economy. God's kingdom, and uh, I just appreciate him. And uh, to the listener, um, know that your pastor appreciates you, if indeed you are a faithful member, um, and supportive, and encouraging, and all those things. And uh, as we we go to, uh, you know, soon here to prepare for a funeral and meet with the family, uh, to me, it's it's a blessing, actually, to be a part. And you've heard me say that several times, yeah. Shaker, haven't you? Mm-hmm. Just because uh, um, it's really easy when you have an example of faith and you see Christ at work in them, and you, you know, each day through the dying process, you know, you see how faith still clings to, to Christ's word and his promise. And, uh, you know, when the last thing that they say is a Lord's prayer that you hear, or that they can, and uh, how they still want to, to make sure their family knows and understand. And I, I imagine as we get through the funeral process, there'll be all sorts of things that uh, this precious saint wanted to make sure I mention mm-hmm. about Christ. And um, it's just a, it's a, to behind the collar moment, your pastor listener really does appreciate uh, your faithfulness um, and uh, your service in the church and all the ways that you are a blessing to the church because you are a blessing to your pastor. And we have pastors listening too. I think they all echo that as well. Um, so, um, so, uh, I just wanted to say that as we, as I was thinking ahead to, to the more funeral planning that I were doing, I talk about those a lot cause I do a lot of them, but, yeah. uh, any comments, Vicar? Uh, no, I've just noticed the difference too in, in the joy and preaching their their funeral sermons too uh, that you can just share their life as a testimony of faith in that as well to their family and loved ones and friends there and and to to when someone says um uh the funeral service doesn't matter to to the deceased person i can tell you it matters a lot in this way you know in their last uh, days or weeks of life 
uh, many of them will think about the witness that the funeral have to their family, and they find it reassuring when I say, don't worry, I will make sure Christ's cross and resurrection is clearly heard, that the forgiveness of sins and the promises of Jesus is heard by all who attend your funeral. And uh, that's that really is meaningful and helpful for them, especially when they're leaving behind their family that they love for and they care for so very much. Um, and they what keeps them from wanting to go uh, to to die is not concern for themselves because they know that they they rest in the wounds of Jesus. It's always a concern for those that they care about. They worry about you know my wife and my children and my grandchildren or my great grandchildren, mm-hmm. and and that's what their concern is. They would happily go outside of that, but uh, because they. Their concern is a husband is concerned for his wife. A husband is, and sometimes you have to say, you know, the Lord Jesus is coming for you soon, and he will watch over your wife, or he will watch over your husband, or he will watch over your family, and um, and and that's because that's what they're concerned about. And so the funeral process really does mean a lot uh, to the person going through the dying process. I've also noticed. At places like the hospital, the family welcomes you in as part of the family. You're you're their pastor for 20 years now, and they're like, "Yeah, let them in. That's our pastor." And you know, you're there through that whole process, and the whole family clings to that too. That um, Christ is with them because you're bringing them the word, and you're praying with them and for them, and feeding them Jesus through and, all and that. It, and it brings the family close together in mm-hmm. this sense that. Uh, um, they may not always be used to praying together as a family. Right. And that, that sets an example for them, and they really appreciate that. So um, so I just got, I guess I wanted to, to say that. Um, I mentioned earlier we, we don't have Berg yet. Um, we texted him. We didn't hear a text back. I don't want to overwhelm him. But you can, listener, can f- feel free to overwhelm him. You can text us at, or text us. You can message us uh at feedback at clericalerrors.org. You can find us on Twitter. Do you remember that is? Clerical Errors P. For podcast. P for podcast. At me, bro. And um, and so, uh, yeah, get a hold of us. So, uh, Vicar, what am I preaching on? <laughs> so it's one of the feeding the multitudes from John chapter 6. You want me to read it? Yeah, go ahead. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountains, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him. For he himself knew that what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about five thousand in number. 
Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So all the fish, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled the twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves, left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had that he had done, they said, This indeed is the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. All right. Some some questions that I have about this vicar. Um, do the people know, like, what? It's like they didn't have a plan. <laughs> you know what I mean? We're we're gonna we're gonna follow Jesus. Does it say why they're following him? This says because they were. They, they saw the signs. They saw the signs. Healing the sick. Right. Passover was coming, and maybe they just assumed Jesus would feed them. You know, it, it, <laughs> I always wondered about that. You know, and most of us would have a plan, right? Right. I mean, a lot of our, sometimes our day, especially if we're not at home, centers around when and where we're going to eat. And then you kind of organize the rest of your day about lunch and dinner. Right. Yeah, no plan. We're like, just gonna... like family gatherings, first you you nail down the food. Mm-hmm. And then there's something different about this than I think other feeding miracles. What's it, that? Is uh, I think the others sent around Jesus teaching, right? Mm-hmm. And and they're there to hear Jesus teach, and uh, there there's a, a kind of uh, an idea of you know these people um, came. For that here, it just they're just following him around. You don't hear much of teaching in this, just because he had done these things, they're following him. And and I wonder about that if that's you know part of what's going on because they're a little misguided towards the end of the of the account where they they want to make him a king. Yeah, a bread king. Right, right, and and so um, you know if you look at Jesus' own preaching. Uh, when Jesus, when, when they were talk, making him want to make him king because he fed them, think of all the ways that Jesus talked about the kingdom. He said, my kingdom is at hand, so what do you do? You repent. And so when we think of, of Christ's kingdom, it, it comes through the, not by force, but the changing of the heart. They want to make it by force. And, you know, you wonder, they're bringing their sick, they're looking at the signs, and they're, they're kind of awed by all those things, um, you kind of wonder, are they there just for the preaching and teaching? Are they there because he's kind of kind of a rock star? Well, it looks like maybe they're, you know, shallow faith a little bit, they, just on the outward things. But look at Philip. Jesus, it flat out says, he said this to test him. Where are we to buy bread so that the these people may eat. And Philip had an answer having to do with how much money they had and, you know, how this just wouldn't work. Um, so he was testing even his disciples, even their faith wasn't aware of, hey, we've got Jesus, the very bread of heaven with us. All right. You know? Well, I, I, I'll tell you a way you don't preach this figure. Okay. And that is um, uh, to, uh, oh, we need to live by faith, so 
um, let's start this massive building program that we're not sure how we're going to pay for. Look what Jesus did with five loaves of bread and two fish. <laughs> okay. Right? Mm-hmm. That's not how you preach it. How you do preach it, on the other hand, is trusting in the goodness of God, trusting that he will give you all that you need, trusting that everything in, is in your hand, and even if you find yourself in need or in want, what you truly need, Jesus has, and he gives. And when you don't know what's going to happen or what to do, Jesus knows what he's doing, right? Mm-hmm. Can I tell you something I like about this text? Sure. How about we, let's do it in uh, a top 12 list. Let's do a top 12 sermon ideas. Okay. All right. So, Peter. Play the intro. Enough nonsense. It's time for Bullhagen's top 12. All right. Now, go ahead, Vicar. What, did you lose your thought now? No. So, number 12. Number 12. Where are we to buy bread? That points to um, the, the problem in the Old Testament as well in the wilderness. Where is our bread going to come from? Mm-hmm. So, so how would you make that into a sermon idea? Is that about more understanding? Well, like, you know what? You could use the Exodus text that goes with that of man in the wilderness. Idea. Yeah, although I'm doing, I made you right. mad. It's okay. Because I chose the Isaiah text. Yep. Oh, well. But that, you could tie that together. Sure. All right, you do one now. Number 11. Are you satisfied just because you have enough bread and fish? Is that all you want? Is that the only kind of Jesus you want? Is that, you know, are you, you know, when we look at at our at life in general as and 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 how the how faith works is you know, when our tummies are full, mm-hmm. right? We seem to be satisfied. And then we take a nap. Right. <laughs> and uh, they seem to be satisfied with with the bread and the fish. Oh, now mm-hmm. let's make him king. And really, there was something more that they needed. They needed a true kingdom, king and a true kingdom and an everlasting one. And um, I, I kind of meant it was kind of hard on the crowd earlier, uh, but uh, that's because it seems as though the idea is, oh, he fed us, let's make him king. And the desire to, to make a kingdom by force and not by grace. It doesn't matter where their heart is. Isn't that a trick of the world today, too? Hey, send out a stimulus check to everybody, and then they'll fall into line. They'll love their government. Right. It doesn't change hearts. No. And, and I think... Where this comes out is, I think it provides you for an interesting discussion on repentance, in that it still should be kind of a struggle. I mean, you still should wrestle with your sins. You should still allow God's Word to break you. And um, Jesus said, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Part of the kingdom is repentance. It's a changing of heart. It's turning. And, And to me, this is a good Lenten type of an understanding of this text, of, uh, of how, how just because sometimes we're, our, our tummies are full and things are going well, uh, it seems like we, we forget about what we truly need. Just like, on the other hand, when things aren't going well, you know, I was, I was thinking about this today. 
or actually last week, when you look at all the things that have gone on in the last couple of years, right? Mm-hmm. We really should be calling on a nationwide, community-wide, family-wide, church-wide called repentance. I mean, we're seeing where our sins are taking us. Right. And uh, you, you looked at, uh, for example, Jonah and, and Bible study with your, with your group. Mm-hmm. And we see all these things happen happen around us. And I've noticed as long as the worst that we complain about it is we worry about, well, how much everything is going to cost, gas prices, food prices. We worry about the effects. And it's nothing brings us to our knees like we should. I mean, we should look at everything that's going on and say, my goodness, what are we doing? Especially the individual as well. What am I doing? Mm -hmm. What have I done? Look at my sins. Boy, I sure need Christ. I sure do need his forgiveness. And and I guess I guess I get a little more bothered by the fact that we you turn on the news, it's all about this politician or that politician or right. strategy and, and all those things and and how little people just use as an opportunity to to point fingers and say this is what's wrong and without actually saying the problem is us, our sin. And particularly, the problem is my sin. And we, and we don't do that. I mean, historically speaking, from the Old Testament, for example, it's filled with, the, you know, when things like this would happen in the children of the children of Israel, it was obviously a clear sign to, to repent. Everybody. Right. And, and we're just so worried about other things. We're worried whether, you know, uh, as long as we have our bread... And it's not too expensive. And when it gets more expensive, boy, we'll sure, sure cry about it a lot as though we were in Ukraine, you know. And make sure it's gluten-free. <laughs> right. And and and, uh, and it doesn't seem to have that effect because we're so consumed with ourselves. It's annoying. Number 10. During the first Lent, on this Friday, Jesus served them fish. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay. So this is all <laughs> fish fry thing. Yeah, first Lent oh. fresh fish fry. You get a little nostalgic for the UP, aren't you? Yeah, maybe. All those fish fries up there. <laughs> I wonder if it was whitefish or what, you know? Uh, it was probably a tilapia. Oh. Could be. So, so explain yourself, please. I know, that was just a foolish one. How about this one? Number nine. This text teaches us how Christ desires order in his church. Of the few things he said here, he, he said, have the people sit down. And I think some of the other um, feeding of multitudes, we got that too, where he's having them sit in groups and in order. Oh. Worship, you know, in the presence of Christ, he wants it orderly. All right. I know what you're... Okay, I'm going to step into my Fort Wayne some student mind. Okay. Okay. So you're saying it's table fellowship. (laughs) (laughs) Koinonia. (laughs) All right. I can see that. Number eight. How about you could make it about miracles, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And we get caught up in miracles. The crowds got caught up in miracles, right? Mm -hmm. So how about something like this? Miracles would actually mean nothing unless it pointed to Christ as as the one who would die and rise. 
you know, the miracles in their mind meant a lot because, well, we get food. It meant a lot. You know, my this person isn't sick anymore. All these things mean a lot just for the earthly thing. Unless I pointed to Christ and what he really came to do in the forgiveness of your sins, it really wouldn't mean anything. Right? Right. So with that in mind, then, think of what how God gives you what you truly need then, even as we sometimes ask for miracles. You know, the greatest one and the greatest need he answers, he feeds. He is the true king, the salvation of our souls. Um, and, and, uh, and so while the miracle uh, was, uh, was grand, you know, without really understanding Jesus as the son of David who provides mercy by his death and resurrection, a miracle would mean nothing. And then there's a flip side of that too, is what you just think of not just miracles, but the gifts that God gives you. All the ways he provides for your physical need and wonderful, powerful ways that may not be miracles that you would recognize as a miracle. And yet all those things should be subservient to the greater truth, even as you eat your daily bread. And that you have that bread comes from a Lord, Lord God who desires to forgive you, to open the kingdom of heaven, to give you his name, to feed you with his body and blood, and and how all those things are actually in subservient to those things. The crowd, I think, got that misunderstood. For them, at times, it was just about the miracle. But without understanding that Christ is is the, the true king, the son of David, it, it really is empty for them. Number seven. Jesus said, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. And then they had the 12 baskets, right? So I'm wondering, there might be three ways to look at the what that possibly meant. All right, we're on, so 8A is? <laughs> that in the same way, Jesus gathers up his people so that none may be lost. Okay. Um, maybe 8B, he had them gather and fill 12 baskets so he could send one home with each of the disciples who helped distribute, hmm? you know, the pastors that helped or however you want to put it. Okay. Priests. So that this is the first Easter egg hug, basically. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> or number three, he sent, uh, or C, 8C. Maybe he sent those 12 baskets home with a boy who gave everything, though he really had nothing. Yeah, that's kind of lost is like, we have this boy. <laughs> yep. Get his stuff. Get him. <laughs> they took his lunch. <laughs> Poor little freckle-haired, <laughs> freckle-faced boy. Hey, what do you guys need? Yeah, we need your stuff. <laughs> that line from Jesus, though, also reminds me of the, the Canaanite woman with the crumbs, even the crumbs from the master's table. Right. Number six. Uh, the world seeks to make a king by force. God does it by grace. They, they, you see how there's a, a forceful nature. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to make you king. Um, and uh, we're going to build this kingdom. Mm-hmm. We're going to f- because you are the one that fills our bellies. We do worship our bellies, don't we? Yeah. Right or our abs. Or calves, whatever. <laughs> but uh, 
Yeah, and I think you can see that uh, in in all earthly governments, right? And you see that uh, in foreign policy. We all have our our uh, interests, and we vote for whoever's going to fill our bellies the best. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's um, why they campaign to show off. This is what I promise for you. And along comes the gospel, which knows no earthly kingdom. Which we have Christian brothers and sisters all over the world, in Ukraine, and Russia, <laughs> Siberia, and um, in the midst, this this king is the one that that changes us, breathes life into us, and gives us something eternal. Uh, the king that they want to make by force, and and really earthly governments, they don't really care where your heart is as long as you're obedient. And if they do care your, where your heart is, it's usually a totalitarian government, you know. You know, and, and that's where America is going, by the way, because, you know, you're canceled now by what's in your heart. It doesn't even matter what you've said or what you've done even. You think the wrong things, you could be in trouble. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's how they seek the earthly kingdom. And that's how, you know, if you're a dictator, you... You, you limit what people can hear and you you see people who believe a certain way as a threat. And uh, but here you have the Lord Jesus who uh, who desires not to just give you bread. He desires you. And uh, it's interesting. I don't know the significance here. It's interesting how, Part of the, the idea is in this this is because the Passover was at hand, right? And uh, which points to him too. Here he's feeding them as a because the Passover is at hand. The Passover, which he is the very Passover lamb to be sacrificed. Um, you so even in the midst of it, you have the death of Jesus at the heart and center of everything in this this miracle. Number five. This text shows that Jesus is also the Lord of creation. He can take something small and and add to it and create from it. He took the small amount of fish and bread and he magnified it and created enough to feed 5,000 people. Okay. Maybe more even. So like uh, look what Jesus did with the meager amount of, right? Right. Can I word that differently? Sure. Because you know what, that's that's what I like to do with your sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of your job, right? I'll, I'll put it this way: They said all we have is five loaves of fish, five loaves of bread, and two fish. Right? Right. That's not exactly true. What do they have? They had five f- loaves, two fish, and Jesus. And Jesus. There you go. And I was thinking in the same way that God created Adam from the dust. He started with something. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he created from that. And, and people might think of, what, what, what can God do with the meagerness and the weakness of my faith? He can bear fruit from that. Right. And what can he do? Here we are, just this, this little church. The world seems to be overtaking the church. The enemies of the church seem to be going greater and greater. Well, what does it say? Well, you have Christ. You have the Savior. Right. You still have everything. All right, what, what number are we on? Six, I think. Number four. 
since this is about having a king and a kingdom, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, the repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Um, and while they, there's something about the wrestle with sin. If, if they see him as a king and they see that the kingdom of God is there and near, the Bible says, repent. And, and by repent, you know, the easy way to me to describe it to you is, you know, uh, contrition for your sins. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry for them. Having a desire to change. Now, whether you actually change is one thing, because we're kind of addicted to sinning. But, but when you, I think, uh, I don't know if we talked about this much, but there's such a desire to not sound like a pietist to, to say that the struggle should continue. You, you should still be, in a sense, broken by your sin. Um, you know, there's, there's an idea that, well, I had this low point, and I turned my life around, and I turned to Jesus, and now I'm done struggling with sin. Um, that's not that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what the drowning of the old Adam is. Right. You know, it's it's not any of those things. Um, it's a, a daily struggle with sin, even as they are buried with Christ and raised with him. Number three. Jesus is teaching that crowd of 5,000 to give thanks before they share a meal together. Look to heaven as he did, uh, looking up to show where all good and gracious gifts come from. Yeah, that, that's part of being thankful is just to simply realize where it came from. You know, uh, it's not from your own will or your own strength. It's it's from God. Mm-hmm. Number two. You can obviously, number four, make this kind of a Eucharistic sermon. Yeah, actually that same thing is almost the formula, isn't it? And when he had given thanks... He distributed. Mm-hmm. And then... And interesting, Jesus doesn't actually hand that out himself. Right. He hands it out through his disciples. Mm-hmm. Right? As if to say, they are handing out my gift. Where they go, my goodness goes. And which will be echoed um, after uh, Pentecost. Where you go, as the fire separates and rests upon the 12 apostles, where you go... I go with the authority of my word. Just like Jesus said in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, right? They go with Christ and his authority. How do we know? Because he ends that whole discussion with, lo, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Not a greeting card, I am with you. It is, I am with you with my authority. Mm -hmm. I am with you with my gifts. I am with you with my word and my baptism and my supper. And so certainly... You have that aspect of, of, uh, and I guess we can make it number four too. And number one. While Moses in the wilderness was the one who helped them have food for their stomach, Christ is the one that gives eternal food, bread, which would echo further aspects that you would see in John chapter six. I have one more thing that goes along with that Eucharistic approach. Sure. Looking at the, uh, command for them to gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. 
I think I've heard it said that that too points to how even with the Lord's Supper, we should consume everything after that meal, you know, and, and treat it properly. You know how you consume yeah. the, the leftover. Um, yeah. I I finish the cup and everyone goes, ooh, you don't know what's floating in there. You have to get all their germs so you can go see them in the hospital. That's right. You're already immune. All right. Uh, I'm running out of ideas. And number one. If there's a number three, you might be able to look at the mountain in here. It begins with Jesus went up on the mountains, and there he sat down with his disciples, and it ends with um, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. I mean, yeah. And you can also talk about the fact that um, his compassion in this way, I mean, that had to be annoying for him. (laughs) Like, everywhere you go, like, you have to go up on a mountain Mm -hmm. to be alone, and really... Part of that is he he wanted to be alone so that he could pray. You know, I don't remember which where this is, but one of the accounts of uh, of the miraculous feeding talks about it just happened right after G- Jesus heard about uh, John the Baptist being beheaded, mm-hmm. and he goes away to be alone. Right. I mean, and then and then as he goes to be alone, the crowd follows him. He's, he's trying to be alone, and then, and then he feeds him. Mm-hmm. I want to say that's in Matthew, but out of the four thousand. So, um, and uh, I don't have uh, the rest of the the numbers. So, let's just go back, go to number one. And number one, I kind of like the heart. That didn't matter whether to them, whether God changed the heart or not, as long as they were stomachs were full. And how we need, in faith, the forgiveness that he brings. And and everything is subservient to there. So that's, I guess, where I would go with this. Well, I think we looked at almost everything in the text. <laughs> you know, <laughs> unless you want to talk about the grass or the, you know, uh, the Sea of Galilee. Or, well, at some point you're going to get yeah, gimmicky, and you know exactly. how I feel about that. Yep. <laughs> Although, you know, you might be able to tie that into Psalm 23, the Good Shepherd. Right? Yeah. You've got the water, the Sea of Galilee, and the grass. Mm-hmm. There it is. You're welcome. There you go. How about this? You have the, the bread from heaven. Mm-hmm. That bread from heaven is is heaven. It's the the real kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. Um, it is heaven opening, in a sense, in giving you Jesus. And because at the heart of of God's everlasting kingdom... The crown jewel of that is not how awesome it's going to be, how fun it's going to be, how it's going to be Disneyland on steroids. <laughs> you know, the, the heart of it is you're you're with Jesus. That's that's what the the desire of faith really wants. You want to be with Christ in His kingdom, and I guess it's hard for people to imagine sometimes that. You know. People sometimes are more concerned whether they're dogs in heaven or whether they're with Jesus in heaven. Yeah. You know, will my dog be in heaven? Uh, Jesus will be there. That's um, all you need. And and so I guess that's another aspect. All right. Well, thank you for listening. I'm Bullhagen. I'm Vicar. And may your sermons have at least 12 points. 
And we're back. Uh, even Pete, Pete's with us now. We swapped out Vicar with Peter. Yeah, that's an improvement, I think. An upgrade, right? Well, they haven't heard you in a few weeks. You've been busy. I've been busy. It's uh, and, and we've been busy. Our evenings are busy, and you work during the day, so we can't really record together very often right now. But we'll, we're working on getting that all figured out. So That's right. Anyways, I was. you'll listen to the top 12 list that we did on the sermon idea. And as I was working on the sermon, all those ideas I had, I really didn't wind up using. So... <laughs> You wait. So, you, <laughs> so you recorded a top, uh, a top twelve list for sermon ideas for this week, and then you didn't use any of them. Correct. Uh, okay. So you want to like talk about then what you did use? Sure, sure. So I was thinking, I was thinking how uh, this is a, a miracle. The feeding of the five thousand deals with food, and I talk all sorts. We talk all sorts of st- about about what this miracle means. But I think there's more of an earthy aspect about this because um, what kind of community we live in, Peter? We live in a farming community, right? Oh, well, you do. I do, right. Where it seems like over half the people are somewhat either farming or related to that or in service to it in some way. And everyone's touched by it, right? Mm -hmm. So... As Jesus feeds the 5,000, one is we're taught that God takes care of our needs, right? Well, I was thinking how how he takes these five loaves of bread and two fish and he multiplies it. And how that really shouldn't be a surprise to us because isn't that what God does every year? He causes seeds to grow. You plant seeds, it grows, and... A farmer feeds many. And, sure. and how, as we learn from this text that God takes care of all of our needs, it's a reminder that uh, all those in service to, for example, feeding others, is actually a service to God. And I thought this, could, this text actually could be an encouragement Especially as we, with the war in Ukraine, could actually cause food shortages. Have you heard that before? Yeah, yeah, because of all of the uh, the economic turmoil that they've been put into. And that's kind of like the bread, it's like they're like the Iowa of Europe. And so there could be a, a food shortage. And I was just thinking in, in that terms, how how necessary, important the work that the people here in Iowa do is really important. And God is using them in their various vocations uh, to really help others and to to take what we have and multiply it to many people. And and whether you're you're doing your work and service to whether it's food or others to to make life better and for the needs and cares of others, including your job, Peter, um, it's a reminder of God's care through us. And so, just as every day we take time to thank God for our food because he's the one that puts food on our table. It also means that in our work and what we do, we are God's servants as he carries that out in the lives of people. So what do you think about that thought? <laughs> um, sure. I'm not good at this whole talk. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, you got it. You got it, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you prefer working with the ones and zeros. 
Hey, man, listen, my role on this podcast is not to, like, have ideas. I'm just here to make fun of you and, and make you sound good, which is kind of doesn't match up. And but, to let us know. know when we're boring. Yeah, and to let us you know when you're boring, which that wasn't boring. Okay. You got that part. <laughs> and so as we look at that, then, it's a reminder of that how in the same way God, who is our God, as Jesus shows that he is taking care of the needs of the people as he feeds them with five barley loaves and two fish, he shows he is also then God. He is the one that works through those processes. He is the one that cares for our needs. And he is then ultimately the one who brings salvation to us, that takes us and our meagerness and our sinfulness and multiplies it to everlasting life. So that's the direction I'm kind of going with this more than the other points you will hear when you edit the first part of this podcast. Yes, and that the listener has already heard. Right, but you haven't. But I haven't yet. So now you'll hear that and like, you're missing something, Dad. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, what made you decide to switch? Well, I was, I, I guess as I was looking at it, I wrestle not only what you can say with the text and and all the various things, but I also try and place in the context of where we are. And what is it in this text that I would preach differently today than I would a year ago? What, what, what is it in this text that I would preach differently now than I would two years ago? It's almost like I purposely write sermons that won't age well because it's written for a specific time. Not the the points age well, and the lessons age well, but at the same time, what our our context is different, and so this is why we write we do write a new sermon because where we have different needs, we need to hear different things. And as I was thinking about, you know, our current situation, people being anxious about all sorts of things, that that it is encouragement for people as we approach. You know, our farmers are right now are thinking of going ahead to planting season and the cost of fertilizer going up exponentially because of everything. The cost of fuel to do their work going up. And and just to to remind everyone in their vocations that you're doing God's work and feeding others and caring for others. And to, to do that with an understanding of your place as a child of God and how God is using you for his purposes. And... And the same God who feeds us and clothes us is the same Lord Jesus through whom we thank for our food is then also the same God who feeds us with the food of everlasting life. So that's the direction I've decided to go. Now, this is Saturday. It could still change. (laughs) It could still change. That's right, because you write them on Sunday mornings. No, that's not true. Well, you no, you, you... you write them in your head, but you actually write it on Sunday mornings. Yeah, I... Okay, truth be told, no one's listening anyways. I do study and I wrestle with the text, as you've been hearing on the podcast, until I get where I want to go, and then my direction, and then I just put it on paper. So the sermon is written mentally by then. I just put pen to paper. So for the listener that isn't listening, clearly, obviously, of course, um, that's as this episode has come out at 5 a.m., what are you doing right now? I, I'm uh, reading over my work. 
<laughs> so, yeah, I just it's just the way I kind of work because because I noticed when I would write a sermon on Tuesday, I would keep changing it anyways. And so I'm just I just have learned to do all my mental work and stress about the text all week so that when it comes time to put it on paper, everything's written in my head. All the directions I have are in my head. What I want to say, I've kind of practiced a sermon in my head, and and I say it even, how am I going to word this? And I kind of have lines and statements and full paragraphs in my head that I'm working on and I wrestle with. And then by the time early morning, Sunday morning, it just goes whoop. And then, yeah, and that makes sense because, you know, like like you were saying, if you if you were to do it on a Tuesday, you I mean, you you write your sermons on paper, too. So it's right, not like yeah. you can just go in and put an extra paragraph in the middle uh, like you're typing it up either. Right. And, and because I kind of I already have the sermon written out in my head, by the time that you say, oh, you write your sermon on Sunday mornings. Well, yeah, I physically write it, but mentally it's all there. So really, literally in less than an hour, everything's written out. Uh but that, but that, but I want to make sure, just because I don't, I don't want people to think, oh, that's the best way to do it. But for me, the work is maybe making notes about it. I have these weird diagrams that I make. I wrestle with it. I come, I throw out a bunch of sermon ideas and directions that I want to go. I, I kind of try and be aware of what's going on around me a little bit, and then compile it throughout the week. And then by the time. It's time to actually put pen to paper. It's already been written in my head, and usually in a less than an hour, it's on paper. So I, I know you have instilled a little bit to your vicars that they have to, or they should, uh, handwrite the sermon. Yeah. Right. Um, and I don't. I encourage. What it. I understand, you encourage it. You don't force them, but like you know, it's like this might help you, kind of deal. If, if um, the the sermons sound more like papers, definitely, I say you need to do that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, is there any of these other things that your vicars have picked up from you? Like, are they doing this, this, uh, early morning, put it to paper? No, like, they, not they, probably not your current vicar. Cause that's not allowed. You have to take a look at it, but you think any of your previous vicars are doing that? Uh, I, I don't think so. Just because I think w- what a pastor does is he, he finds out what works best for them ultimately. Because like if you were to talk to Berg, Berg's got his sermon. Well, I guess is he is he preaching at all anymore? Yeah, he's preaching. He preaches. He's preaching. Uh, well, he preaches every day in chapel, and then he mm. think he he preaches um, maybe once a month. By the way, this I think today is his installation day. So oh well, congratulations to Berg. Yeah, but but everyone, I think what happens is every pastor finds out what works best for them, and to me, the most important thing is as they, they do that, to not get in a rut. And uh, one thing I, I try and show in the podcast is, you know, I've been as a pastor for a decent amount of time now, 20-some years, uh, 23, 24 years. And, uh, and, and I still wrestle with it. I still try and find ways to do better. Um, and I'm always still adjusting how I write the sermons and my thought process is I don't, don't try to keep it static. Um, 
which is why I like handwriting too and, and not really looking at my old sermons. So it's every time it's kind of a fresh thing. But we yeah. mentioned in the past too that like for some sermons too, you just have a, a a few notes and a few diagrams and then you just preach off that. Um it's the one I think you especially do that for is is it the Easter vigil? Yeah, well the Easter vigil, the the whole you just have to tie the text together because every every lesson that you read has the same theme of, of passing over from death to life, whether it's um, uh, the children of the Red Sea, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Bendigo in the fiery furnace, Jonah going from death to life in the whale, um, and uh, the ark going from death to life in the ark. Um, all those texts you read all leading up to the service of baptism where you go from death to life. And the whole center of it is the, the vigil itself where you, in a sense, follow Jesus from death to life. And and so as if to say, this history of our Lord Jesus is our history. So that sermon just writes itself. I mean, you don't really have to do much. You just say, point out what is going on and, and boom, your sermon is done. But there have been times because of this process where I say it's kind of been mentally written and I just put pen to paper where I've forgotten my sermon to bring it with you me for, in the you forgot it. You forgot the paper at home. Or I forgot the paper, maybe if I have a vacancy, to bring it with me to the other church or something like that. And it's, it's, it has been no problem because I've already mentally written it. I've already throughout the week been writing it in my head. And so... But it's you know even though I don't have it on paper, it's because it's already been written and I've been writing it in my head and editing in my head like a computer, so to speak. Then it really isn't a problem. So, all right. So how often does that happen? That I forget the sermon. That you don't have your sermon in the pulpit. Not often. I almost once all. a year. More less. Uh, less. It's only happened a few times. But the thing is, no one knows it, though. <laughs> right. That's why I'm asking. Right. When it does happen, no one notices. Like, is this, this is the, the story. The only thing everybody that hears a sermon of yours now is going to be like, did he forget it at home? The only thing they might notice is I do actually have more eye contact. <laughs> Obviously, because I don't have anything in front of me. I think what was the, there's been a couple times that I remember, too, where you accidentally skip a page and you get confused and you're like, wait. <laughs> <laughs> right kind of like when i have a top 12 list and i get mad and i just throw it away and okay now this is what it says <laughs> yeah yeah kind of like that so well that's a, a step inside a little bit more of this text so now that we hopefully you'll still listen to that first part not skip ahead because there's some good points that i think would make good sermons just for me in our place this is a direction i'm planning on going Man, who skips forward and listens to only the second half of a podcast? I don't know. If there's one person doing that, uh, let us know. And also, uh, send your uh, congratulations to Berg on his uh, his new, uh, I was about to say job, but that's not necessarily the right word. What's the word there? Call. His call. New call. His, new call. His, yeah. And, and, and we, what we need to do when he does come back to the show, we need to have a full inbox Absolutely. Of, so uh, of news you can, that bothers you can him. email us feedback at clericalerrors.org. 
uh, Facebook. We have a Facebook, facebook.com slash clerical errors podcast. And we have a Twitter. At me, bro. It's at clerical errors P, P, P for podcast. podcast. And if you want to support the show, we just spent a lot of money on Berg to make sure he would show up again. We can't stress this enough. It was very expensive. <laughs> so hey, if you'd like to support us. Or buy a t-shirt. Uh, or buy a t-shirt. Uh, store.clericalairs.org. You, you can, can get a t-shirt. Yeah, if you can find it, you find our website. It's there. You can just click it on there and you'll find it. Yep, yep. And then uh, if you want to support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash podcast. Hey, look, Pete. Oh, you're wearing your shirt today. There you looking go. Looking good, looking good. High quality shirts. Um, and I got it. By the way, um, I I, I want to thank uh, the church here. Did you, did you did you you heard what happened? What they did for me at my anniversary? Uh, I I heard. Yeah, I heard that they they gave you a bit of a vacation credit. Yeah. So decide what you're gonna do with it yet. Um. I want to go somewhere for ten days where I don't have to wear a shirt. I'm I I keep telling mom that she's got to go to Hawaii. She's wanted to go to Hawaii for years, and she keeps saying no, 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 that's too far. I think you guys got to do it, man. Yeah, we'll see. We're, we're, we we got to meet with a travel agent. That's who the gift certificate is for. So, all right. Well, make sure you've got her looking at Hawaii then. I know. Right. I know she's. Looking at other things, mom told me what she's thinking, but man, go to Hawaii. There's so many beaches. If you're wearing a shirt in Hawaii, you're overdressed. That's right. All right. Well, thanks for hopping in with me and finishing this with me, Peter. <laughs> yeah. All right. We got to make sure we got a full episode for the... the. <laughs> Do we have a name for our for our listeners? Can we can we make a name up right now for well, our oh, Yeah, we we we've got a name. They're the Clerical Heirs Army. The Clerical Heirs Army. Well, I want something that's like a little bit, you know, rolls off the tongue a little more. Uh, okay. Like the Errorites, maybe, or I don't know. Hmm. The Circumcellions. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that'll go very well. <laughs> I don't know. We'll think about it. Let let me know on that one too. If you guys have some suggestions for what we should call our listeners, we'll think of one. So, all right. I'm Bullhagen, and I'm Peter. And may your sermon finally be completed. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns. You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast, on Twitter at clericalheirsp for podcast, or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. Thanks for listening to Clerical Heirs. See you next time.